across South Africa, online and on radio. SAFM, let's talk. Good day, love. It has been uh, my opinion about the school and university. This year will be finished 2020. I mean, I'm one of the parents who has got a children high school or primary or university. I'm positive we'll finish everything going smooth end of the year. Everybody will, will attend the full academic. That's my opinion, Mr. Mali Weinberg. Thank you. Okay, I, I, I hear you, but uh, you went on to write uh, uh, and you say, I think, and I quote you, you say, I think the profs are missing the point in how they do research. Their focus is not socially grounded. Why don't their research uh, focus on the restructuring of the 2020 academic year and academic year can't or is not sacrosanct to uh, January to December? They are being privileged in their focus. Uh, that's you, Tando. To, I think uh, that's you, Tandolwet. Let's expand this conversation uh, about uh, the 2020 academic year uh, with uh, Dr. Felicity Kuflin, uh, academic director at VTech. Uh, at VTech, leads the private sector in the fields of education and resourcing, contributing uh, meaningfully towards the sustainable development uh, of human capacity in South Africa. But also, uh, we add on to the conversation Nongaito Madube Dube, who is the General Secretary of uh, Equal Education. Remember when we started the conversation, uh, Dr. Metcalf, uh, I quoted her an article of, of hers where she was saying, you know, this debate on whether or not we can save the 2020 academic year isn't assisted by commentators who position the unions as opposed uh, to the education department. And maybe uh, we start with you, Nongaito. Are you seen as being opposed to the Department of education in their quest to save the 2020 school year welcome thank you for your time uh, thank you so much for having us uh, and hello to, to your listeners as well Yes, so we're talking about salvaging uh, the t- the 2020 school year. And maybe let's start with that with you. Uh, you know, are you saying that, uh, you know, uh, w- what are your thoughts on what the minister uh, should say? Uh, we know that the minister was meant to speak today. The minister mm-hmm. is speaking tomorrow now. They've postponed that to tomorrow. What are you hoping she says? Yeah, so there's a couple of things that we've put on the table. But I think before that, I do want to say I, in principle, and I think in representing a learner voice here, cautiously and in principle, um, agree with Omer, you know, Nick. But when I say cautiously, it's because the the education system is in two parts, right? Mm-hmm. In the same way that our, our country is in two parts. There are those that have and those that don't. So in thinking about who to would be possibly left behind, uh, if, the, if the education sort of curricula uh, carries on by hook or crook, to quote um, the, the minister, then, then we, we know for sure that a large majority uh, of young black uh, children and learners in Quinto 1 to 3 schools uh, wouldn't be able to compete uh, and, and, and complete the, the academic year. And, and that means that the, the, the ability for people to come back into the schooling system and not drop out post-anxieties and traumas of this period uh, are likely to hamper the ability of people to come back into the school sort of system in, in the next year. So I do, I, do, I do want to just put that out, that our realities are quite startling. Mm. And this is a moment to either remedy those things quite strongly with equitable support for rural and township provinces um, or to just go business as usual uh, and leave behind a, a bigger majority of learners than we would uh, have in, in the past or if this year had continued as, as per normal. Mm. Now... There are four things that we've put on the table, and these come from the experiences of learners. 
um, predating COVID, but uh, particularly during this period. So the, the first and I think most important is reopening the, the school feeding scheme. We've been worried because the, there, there is a, a national humanitarian sort of crisis around food security in the country, and we think the effect or implication of this for learners and children in particular um, has, is worse. And so we think about uh, learners that don't have access or haven't been able to access the relief programs rolled out by the Department of Social Development, for example. We think about undocumented learners that don't have the ability to access those, re- those relief packages in any case. Mm. Uh, and we know that over 10 million learners depend on the meals that they get in that school nutrition program in any case. This is vital mm. um, that that reopens, and not necessarily in the way that it has in the past, where there's cooked food. There could be food packages, principals identifying um, high-risk um, uh, or priority learners inside their schools to make sure there's some provision that's made in regard to food for, for children and families, as a matter of fact, because the socioeconomic impact of this uh, goes far beyond the school community. Mm-hmm. The, the second is around the procurement of PPE. Uh, and I know that uh, you quoted the article from um, uh, Professor from Mary. Uh, you, you, yeah. you quoted the article from Nick as well. And we, we've listened to inputs from um, Professor Mahdi as well. And we, we know that it's apparent now yeah. Little information, but that that learners have less likely um, sort of risk or rates of, of infection or being able to vector and carry this disease to infect others. Mm-hmm. But but all of this information at this point is still inconclusive, right? And so while we sit inside that um, that, that, that grey area, we need to ensure that learners, particularly those that are in rural and township communities, do have these kinds of provisions. Yeah. And connected to that, uh, learners have said to us, look, equal education, we would love your support in ensuring that as we go back to school, whether it's a phased approach or not, there's the provision of um, the access to water. Yeah. There, there are learner members of equal education in Limpopo, for example, that have, have said to us, look, we've gone full school careers without ever having running water in, in our school premises. And so the provision of water inside the public narrative or messaging around washing your hands during this, this, this period to protect yourself from the virus yeah. um, is important. And, and secondary to that, is adequate and safe sanitation. So we know that our schools, over 3,700, still only have plain pit latrines as a source of sanitation um, or toilet facilities. And we think these are the kinds of things that need to be remedied as a as phase back into schools is, is, um, is rolled out. Um, the last is around the preparation for scholar transport. So we know that um, in a previous, I think it was the last month, a portfolio committee meeting for education, um, the Deputy Minister and the DG of Education came on and said, look, um, we would make sure that there's 70% capacity in all buses or forms of transport that take learners to school um, to create a safeguard in the journey to and from school. And we know that, for instance, in KZN, Equal Education and its members have been fighting for a scholar transport policy and the provision of buses that are adequate for those environments. And those buses are typically overcrowded. Yeah. The Minister says, yeah, well, if it's overcrowded, what we'll do is just get more buses. Okay. It's unrealistic because they haven't been able to do that uh, for, for years on end. Yeah. Um, and I think just, just the last one is that there's a, there's a deep need, and I think maybe it's across government, but particularly during this period from the DBE, transparent um, uh, and a sense of accountability, clear and detailed, time-bound plans to ensure that the school community, all of us can work together in making sure the schools in our community, in the local level communities, are able to open in ways that justify safety, um, care, um, 
and provisions of basic needs uh, for learners as they go back to school. I wonder if all of that can be done by the 1st of uh, June, but let's hear you, uh, uh, Dr. Felicity, uh, because, you know, the schools that fall under you guys, are they managing and and, and, and continuing schooling during uh, the lockdown? And are you anticipating hearing the minister say it's all systems go from the 1st of June and everything, uh, you know, that needs to be be done has been done and let's just get the academic year off the ground again there are two ways hi there are two ways of answering that the first of course is that yes we are ready and we have been monitoring the progress and we're fortunate enough to be able to teach still so although that's very clear um it's not really the whole story because your previous speakers have made very clear that there's massive inequity mm-hmm. and things that weren't solved in the last 25 years, 55, 75 years um, are deeply endemic in our country and the inequality and the injustice going forward doesn't disappear because some people are ready. Yeah. The reality is, though, that there's only a limited number of resources that now must be leveraged as a matter of urgency, as a moral imperative to support those that are not ready. Yeah. So our call has been more about set the criteria, let us and other schools that are ready demonstrate that we are able to keep keep our students and staff safe and don't expend time and energy on those who are already privileged. Put that time and energy, put the management resource, put the political capital, put the, the morality, the ethics of it all where it's needed in ways that perhaps should have been done sooner and where, where the crises sit. Yeah. I think one of the biggest difficulties when we talk about um, everybody at the same time is the energy that goes into monitoring systems that we know are more functional, that we are no, have more resources to start with. So our call is for everybody to be held to be account because safety is imperative. But that once people have demonstrated that they can do what needs to be done, that the attention turns to supporting those who can't. So, so would you be open when you say uh, the attention has to turn to supporting those who cannot? The real picture um, in the South African schooling system is the student A who comes from a privileged background and at this point as we're having this conversation is able to access all of uh, the technological things that they need to access to make sure that they keep up uh, with all of the requirements of the current school year. But then there's also school uh, school. School uh, going kid number uh, B, who comes from an extremely uh, disadvantaged background, may have been applying themselves in the way that they need to apply themselves as a student, but currently doesn't even have all of the things that they need to make sure that they keep up. So, with that argument that you're putting on the table, are you willing to put to pause the needs of the privileged student, who's student A, to make sure that student B is given the resources that they need so that they can catch up and be on par with student A? I think that there, 
First of all, it's not an A and B situation. The continuum is massive. Um, I'm very aware of schools that, like ours that have been able to go online. And there are other schools where teachers and school management have been incredibly creative with very low-tech solutions. And then there are districts and provinces in the national department that have leveraged national technology, which people, because of their living circumstances, have been able or not able to, to access. There is no doubt that we have a massively inequitable system. But expending resources on not allowing those who can along a continuum, not an A-B scenario, mm. to continue... So isn't going to change the things we haven't fixed in 20 years. So yeah. we've been taught a lesson. We've, we, this, this corona crisis has highlighted for us what we haven't achieved as a society, and it has to be treated as a crisis and an urgency. Mm-hmm. But we don't do that better by having everybody else on the continuum continue to stand still. Yeah. So what are your thoughts then, uh, Dr. Felicity, on uh, the process of saving? Um, The minister will speak tomorrow. uh, And as I asked Prof. Metcalf and um, uh, our previous guest earlier, uh, unfortunately, there are these kids in the class, particularly the class of 2020, that started this year with the hope of, uh, you know, getting their metric and getting it out of the way. where do you foresee independent schools uh, in relation to uh, returning to school? Should it be phased? Shouldn't it be phased? How do you want it to unfold? It absolutely has to be phased. Um, the trauma and the experience, putting the physical things into place around safety if you're in a well-resourced school is not that difficult to do. But the the trauma and the anxiety and the uncertainty and sitting in a class with a whole lot of people with in masks is an experience that we're all going to have to process at school and um, all of us in the workplace also. So phasing is obviously the responsible thing to do, not only because of physical distancing, but also because of the emotional support that learners are going to need. When it comes to the grade 12 group, I think, again, that is a group that needs particular attention. Mm. There is nothing stopping us picking up the rest of the curriculum for grades 7 and 8 into next year. Mm -hmm. Um, There's also very little chance, of course, that the higher education system is going to start as early as it did. So when we talk about saving the year, we're not talking about exams finishing in November. Yeah, We've got a lot of latitude that we could work with once we make the decisions and have all sectors of, of society behind making that possible. Yeah. Uh, no, no, like the, where, where do you as equal education stand on the year uh, being possibly lost? And, and if not, uh, what possible uh, uh, solutions do you believe should be adopted uh, going forward so that, you know, uh, there's an element of, of salvaging that does happen? Mm. Interesting, because this morning I was looking at a member of ours talking to Elijah on, on, on Twitter. Uh, and he was quoting a report that uh, the Department of Basic Education penned, and he was saying, look, you say there could be additional time used on weekends or on days where the school, come, school comes out at 5 p.m., but, but our schools already run like this. 
because mm. in schools that are in quintal one to three, the need for um, weekend school camps, catch-up revision classes um, and tutoring sessions after lessons is critical because our classrooms sit with more than 50 learners uh, at a time. So not everyone is able to catch up with the, with the curricula as planned. Mm. I think that question should be best answered by teachers. A lot of teachers that we've been speaking to at Equal Education and inside a, a big coalition, a People's Coalition for COVID, there's an education group and, and academics have been saying in that, in that group, there's a careful consideration, and this is why we're sort of worried about the 1st of June as an opening. There's a, con- a deep consideration around what needs to be taught, what's prevalent and relevant to the moment. So is there an understanding around uh, young people on the behavioral changes that are necessary mm. um, to, to be inside schools during a, a global pandemic during this time? Um, and, and all of those things need to sort of be, be matched with pacing curriculum changes. Um, and, and classroom allocations. And so th- th- there's a vast sort of process that needs to take place. And teachers at the moment aren't feeling consulted. They've noted that the entire process to them feels like a very much top-down approach. Um, so I, I wouldn't say the school year is lost. Um, I think it depends on what the country wants to prioritize in its education during this period. And we, we could have other grades that aren't exit, at least at this stage, get to where they need to be, but, but on the same level. So going back to enrichment materials to think about how do we advance um, reading for meaning inside our schools, <clears throat> to think about literacy and numeracy in, 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 in quite strict ways for foundation phase learning, which is what we've always highlighted as issues inside our education system now, uh, and just get learners through, through the year in ways that are paced correctly, allow for teachers to, to find space and time to reconvene classrooms, uh, and, and, and to just um, ease the anxiety of learners about going back to school. Yeah. The exit grades, I think a similar approach could be applied. The hook or crook, or that we, we'd need to finish curricula in order to make sure that folk do qualify for universities. I think that's just a fallacy. We're inside one country. The universities are inside the same sort of spectrum. Mm. Uh, we could all collectively decide what is important to have someone advance to the next year. And if yeah. there is a need, universities must open up spaces um, for what they call, I mean, back in... Um, what are called bridging courses, but to yeah. allow people to catch up on them, whatever they think is necessary to form part of the first year of university. But all of these things are inside our sort of our, our, our ether, and so it shouldn't. None of it should feel like. Um, do or die at this point. Actually, that kind of reflects, I think, a view that was held by Professor Jonathan Janssen, who's saying that, you know, some some grades should sort of almost be moved to the next grade. Um, and, and, and I want to round off, though, with a comment uh, on WhatsApp that came through from Martin and Mafiking, and have you guys tell me what you think, uh, who's one of our listeners, what you think of what he's saying, because this is an interesting one. He says, and I quote, he says, I think we should consider a temporary grade 13 uh, for public schools for next year and let the private schools go into varsity. I don't know where that logic comes from, but I'm quoting him as he writes it. Maybe also then bail out universities for any shortfalls. Uh, the social disparities are a reality and those uh, who remain disadvantaged will have to make do. I don't see any logistical possibility for public schools to return to school this year while this pandemic is still on an upward trajectory. This is Martin in Mafigeng. Should we be considering this grade 13 for public schools, Nongleto? No, no, absolutely not. I was already highlighting the massive work that needs to happen to make sure the, the grades existing yeah. get through what's, what's left of the year. Um, I, I think my, my last thing just to contribute to that is the, the numbers of, of, of infection rates are bound to increase because the testing stage or the phase that we add as a country is, is resulting in sort of 
mass screening and testing. And, and that's fine, right? Mm. I'm not saying we need to build herd immunity amongst citizens or young people or school communities. Yeah. But I think as long as we, I mean, Mark Hayward has said, we need to make the science fit the reality of our own school communities, our own clinics, our own workplaces, and different other types of institutions and facilities. And that's what we need to do. We need to educate one another on a mass scale, popular education to reach the biggest demographic, most impoverished in our country. Make sure those folks are aware of what they need to do to, to convene and contribute and support rolling yeah. back uh, uh, into operating. Yeah. And that's what's best right now. Yeah. Uh, Dr. Felicity, as we round off with you, uh, how, what should independent schools be thinking of redefining for themselves, taking lessons into cognizance that the COVID-19 has forced on them? I think as a country, the beauty of being South African is the ability to respond and to debate and to move forward. So I think there have been very important lessons in the independent sector around educational pedagogy of people who've tried to go ahead and do everything, um, people who have already begun the conversations that your other speakers have spoken about and what is essential for this grade, and then looking across the entire country. Where, where is the contribution? What are the ways that everybody contributes? because there is no doubt that although the independent sector is largely and not entirely better able to move forward, that we move forward as a country. And anything that further deepens the divide is something that we all pay for in the long run. So this can't just be forget about the rest, Mm. but it has to be about focusing the scarce resources that we have got where they need it and not trying to control that which doesn't need control. Yeah. And there I have to leave it. Nongleto Madube Dube, General Secretary at uh, Equal Education, Dr. Felicity Kuchland, uh, Academic Director at VTech. Uh, and <clears throat> of course, the conversation was about whether or not <clears throat> the 2020 school year is salvageable, uh, whether or not uh, things can be done to save it for both the pri- public and uh, private schooling system. You can uh, continue the conversation if uh, we see your WhatsApps coming through. We will always read them. Uh, we are on WhatsApp number 061-410-4107. That's 061-410-4107. Or you can call the studio if you're old-fashioned like me, 0891104207. Or you can SMS us on 41391. That SMS will cost you a rand 50.